1: It's Thursday, March third, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, along with the birthday boy, Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, happy birthday to you! And the uh, uh, you celebrate with a podcast from Arizona. I guess, uh, I, I guess that's it's just par for the course. I, I don't know, <laughs> uh, you, did you really ever imagine, you know, way back when you started on the Indians beat or uh, covering Cleveland baseball that uh, that you would be in a hotel room in Arizona, doing a podcast on your birthday.
0: (laughs) For sure, Joe. No, usually I was nursing (laughs) a hangover on my birthday or getting ready to nurse a hangover. (laughs) But But this is, uh, this is something new, man. This is like the Jetsons.
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, the Jetsons didn't have, uh, labor negotiations and, uh, and, and, uh, Uh, collective bargaining agreements that haven't been reached, uh, I I guess, in in any of their uh, space age adventures. So uh, what's the latest uh, from that? I I, I guess the the negotiations broke off on Tuesday. The two sides haven't met since then, since the announcement that the first two series of the Major League Baseball regular season would be canceled and not made up. Uh, the, The two sides are set to meet again this week.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Dan Han- Hanlam and uh, Bruce Meyer, the two uh, lead negotiator, negotiators uh, for, you know, the the owners and the players uh, will meet in New York today or schedule to meet one-on-one in New York. It's being called like an informal meeting. And, uh, you know, I think this is a good sign to me, Joe. Um, you know, I think, you know, when, we've talked about this before, when you've got like a lot of people in the room, I think it's, you know, from both sides, I think, you know, tempers can flare a little bit. Emotions run high. Uh, I think the the smaller groups you get, I think it's easier to reach a deal. You know, maybe these two guys, you know, can, you know, they know where where the issues are now. You know, they've known that for a long time. Maybe they can move this thing forward, you know, take some of the air out of the, you know, take some of the heat and emotion out of these negotiations, which kind of flared you know, last, uh, earlier, your know, last week in, uh, or earlier this week in Jupiter, in Florida. So, you know, I think this is a good move and hopefully, you know, something happens, you know, something moves forward either this weekend or early next week, or, you know, sometime next week. Hey, somebody
1: needs to, you know, buy a couple of sandwiches, throw them in the room, lock the door behind them and not let those guys out until uh, they've they've at least hammered out a, a framework that's uh, that's something that 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 needs to happen at this point. Just get it done. Just, everybody's just saying get it done. Speaking of just get it done. Uh, the guardians just uh, we, we just got word that the guardians informed the seasonal workers at a progressive field that includes like vendors and ushers and and all the folks who who make, you know the game to game process you know, sort of go there at the ballpark. Uh, They were all set for training at some point in late March. And those meetings have all been uh, delayed or postponed. Uh, It's pretty obvious why, but uh, again, it's, it's, it's kind of a reminder that it's not just the players who were missing checks and it's not just the fans who aren't getting to see games. It's, it's going to be these seasonal workers who in in a lot of cases depend on uh, their, their checks from, from working these games.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as much as, you know, the two negotiators, lead negotiators meeting today in New York is a good sign. You know, this, this is kind of an ominous sign to me. You know, we've been through this before, Joe, you know, in 2020 and the pandemic, the longer it went, the, you know, the, there was starting to be layoffs, you know, you know, salaries were cut by, you know, you know, by, by certain, you know, by members of each team's, you know, you know, front office. So, Let's hope that's not in store for the, for this, but you know, that's, that's what, you know, I, that's, that's the first thought I had when I, when I saw this, you know, when I saw this email.
1: Yeah. I, and like we said, it, it's not just the players who are, are feeling this. It's not just are eventually going to feel this. The, the workers around the, the, the ballpark will uh, the the tone, I guess in that email that was sent from the club to its seasonal employees, uh, sort of, it's it sort of defended, I guess, the, in, in, in a way, the, the actions of the owners It said, you know, hey, the owners have tried to bring in federal mediators, but the, the players won't listen. And, and despite the, the good faith efforts and, you know, of, of the, the owners to, to sort of negotiate here. And, and again, you know, that's, there's a lot of questions as to whether there's a, a lot of good faith negotiating tactics going on, especially on the part of the owners. But, uh, you know, this email had a sort of a decidedly pro ownership tone. And you're telling people who aren't going to be getting their checks for, for seasonal work at the ballpark, you know, that, oh, yeah, the other guys, the, the other laborers, the other workers, the players are the ones that are they're causing this whole thing to happen. So uh, I sort of read that and I, it kind of struck me as funny that you're trying to rally uh, these, these ballpark workers. Uh, to the side of ownership during this negotiation. And that didn't, that doesn't sit well with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we're, we're talking about the workers at uh, progressive field and out here, Joe, at Goodyear ballpark, you know, they've lost, you know, you know, maybe the first two weeks of spring training uh, games. Uh, and, uh, you know, I tried to call uh, the mayor's office yesterday to see, you know, the impact the, the lockout is having, and not just the lockout, but, you know, the pandemic last year, uh, you know, the shortened season, uh, uh this in 2021, you know, and uh, they told me to talk to people at the ballpark. I called the ballpark and they said, the, the teams don't want them talking about this until the lockout is over. So it, it's interesting, you know, everybody is already protecting their backs on this.
1: Yeah, I think all the way around, so. Uh, I, I just, the, the tone of that email kind of struck me a little bit. So wanted to mention that. All right. Uh, let's get into our final uh, edition of the top 25 most memorable Cleveland baseball players of the last 38 years uh, that, that Hoinsey has covered. Uh, I guess this last one, we saved sort of uh, one of the best ones for last and uh, it, it's pretty obvious by now who this, uh, this individual is. We did, we, We introduced all these guys with, uh, you know, sort of blind intros uh, coming up. But uh, I think Jim Tomey needs needs no introduction Uh, selected in the 13th round of the I'm going to give you an introduction. How's that? Uh, 13th (laughs) round of the 89 draft became the Indians all time home run king with 337. He ranks seventh in Major League history with 612 home runs. Uh, top ten in franchise in walks, he's first. RBIs, he's second. Slugging percentage, he's third. Total bases, he's fourth. And runs scored, he's fifth. Uh, set single season franchise records with 52 home runs in 2002, 127 walks in 1999. A three time All Star with the uh, with the Indians, hit the longest home run in Progressive Field history on July 2nd, 1999, at 511 feet. Uh, what more can you ask from, uh, a guy that you drafted, developed, and, and sort of meant everything to your franchise, who was elected to the, uh, baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown in 2018. His number was retired in in 2012. Uh, he spent what? 11 seasons. I spent 13 seasons in Cleveland, 91 to 2002, and again, came back in 2011, uh, when when you think of over over your stretch of, of time covering uh this ball club uh is there a better example of of a guy who, who just did it the right way and was was sort of a, a cleveland guy than jim Tomey?
0: yeah you hit the nail on the head there joe it Just uh, and he never changed Tomey never changed he was the same guy that went to the when he made his hall of Hall of Fame induction speech as he was when he was a rookie um, and, uh, you know, coming up from uh, uh, AAA, just, uh, you know, down to earth, honest guy. And boy, could he hit a baseball. Holy mackerel. He just he he could put a charge into a baseball and it just fell into that. And just think of this, Joe, when you think about those teams in the in the mid 90s, Tommy and Ramirez were hitting at the bottom of that order. Seventh, you know, they and were eight. In six, seventh and eighth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. <laughs> and Sandy Alomar was hit ninth. <laughs> and both of and Ramirez and Tomey would have hit over a thousand home runs combined. So <laughs> that is, it's just incredible. You didn't realize what you were watching until you, you know, had a chance to, you know, years, a few years had gone by, and then you look back on it.
1: But really, it wasn't until the guys at the top of the order there, uh, the the Bayergas and the Bells had had moved on. And, and, you know, for one reason or another, we're, we're not with the club anymore. It wasn't until like that, that 97 season, that 98, 99, when you, you sort of saw Tomy really assert himself and just, you know, become everything that the club needed in, in a middle of the order power hitter.
0: Yeah. And I think a big part of that, Joe was when he moved off of third base, when they got Matt Williams, they moved in the first base, you know, he could relax a little bit. You know, Jimmy had some problems at third base. He was, you know, he was, a, he, he worked hard at it, but it was, I think it was, it was a tough position for him. And, but when he got to first base, he could relax and he could just, you know, concentrate, on driving the baseball and uh, just it, that seemed, they moved him up into the one into the fourth or third spot, you know, in the middle of the lineup. And the, the thing about him was, he you know, if you look at his if his stats line, uh, you know, it, it seemed like almost every year he scored 100 runs, he drove in 100 runs, and he walked 100 times. You know, it was, you know, he had great plate discipline, almost, almost, he was almost too, he had almost too, you know, rigid at the plate. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't swing at pitches outside, you know, off the plate a little bit. And, uh, you know, people, you know, that was his, that was his thing. That was his M.O., but i know you know some people in the organization that kind of urged him to take a chance once in a while on a pitch you know a couple inches off the plate cuz he he was just so strong
1: what were some of the first impressions and first memories that you had when when the club called him up for the first time i think it would have been around that what 91 92 season
0: yeah just uh you know just just what what a down to earth guy he was just how how good he was to talk to Um, and, uh, just, uh, you know, he was kind of a, you know, an all shucks guy, you know, he was like, you know, and, and he just, he was dead honest, you know, you, you, you know, he didn't pull a punch. I remember, you know, uh, asking him once, uh, you know, uh, you know, this was in the, you know, he played in the middle of the steroid era and I asked him, you know, Jimmy, what, what do you think of this? And, uh, you know, and I kind of, the dumb question, you know, there were, you know, some people, we're thinking, did you ever use steroids or, you know, and he said, you know, and he, and he told me, you know, if I ever did that, my father, my father would be really disappointed in me. And, uh, you know, that kind of struck a, a, a note with me, you know, that, you know, this guy, you know, he, he was who he was, you know, he, he was, he was sincere and dead honest and uh, just a, you know, a guy that, you know, that was easy to like. And
1: as, as he was going through the whole process after, after being elected to the hall of fame, first ballot, a hall of famer back in, in 2018, you know, a lot of these old stories used to come up and, and like I said, we've, we've heard how, you know, he, he, there was no way he was ever going to take steroids because he was, his, his father would have killed him. He said it straight out. Um, But, but he did, you know, he did work at it. He, he went from being sort of a, He had like like that skinny power when he, when he first came up, he was, he was uh, athletic and he played shortstop when they drafted him. Uh, And, you know, he developed that power and got bigger and got bulkier. He knew when he moved over to first base that he didn't have to be as, you know, agile, I guess. uh, So he could put on a little bit more muscle and, and did that. I remember walking into the clubhouse in, in 2000, back in 99, 2000, and, you know, it was post-game, and he had a – it was two Bud Lights and a, and a giant plate of rice, and that's what he was – that's his post-game meal. He was sitting there eating at the table. And I, I just – I remember I'm like, you know, that's – he's probably getting ready to, to you know, bulk up and, and, you know, head into the season. That was something that just really stood out to me. Uh, it, as far as, you know, his departure from Cleveland, and after – I believe it was after the 2001 season – or 2002 season, after the 2002 season, uh, what, uh, what do you remember about that and and just how hard that decision was for him?
0: I think it was really hard for him. Um, you know, uh, it was, it was really, it it tore at him because, you know, obviously he was a homegrown guy. Uh, but you know, he, you know, and, and he was so, you know, I never understood why people criticize him so much for, uh, for leaving. Uh, you know, I think any, you know, whatever the Phillies offer was, was I forget five years. And I don't know if it was 60 or $80 million, something like that. You know, no one is going to turn down that kind of money. And uh, you know, so when, when he left, he left, you know, he was honest about it. And uh, the thing I admired about him is when he ever, when, whenever he came back, you know, either with the Phillies or the, you know, the white socks or the twins, you know the fans always booed him. You know, and at the, yeah, Cleveland they always got on him for leaving. And uh, you know, I, I talked to him once, and he goes, "Hey, they got the right, they got the right to boo." You know, the, I, I'm the one that left. I, it was my decision. If they want to boo me, they can boo me. And I really thought that was, you know, a kind of a mature, kind of a mature, so, so a very mature approach. And and when he came back finally, you know, when he resigned, the Indians brought him back. And uh, you know I think you know a lot was forgiven by that. It seemed like the fans kind of came around and, and, and really got behind him again.
1: Yeah, you remember that uh, that run there in, in, in 2011 and it was just a, a lot of good feelings. He hit that last home run at, at Progressive field and that was sort of uh, you know just really exciting to see and and the way that the the outpouring I guess of support for him at that time was was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we can't talk about. Uh, Jim Tomey without talking about another sort of, I guess he would be the 26th uh, top 10 person or top 25 personality uh, from, from Cleveland baseball in, in your time covering the team. But uh, Charlie Manuel, uh, a guy that meant a lot uh, to uh, Tommy in his development as a player. And then, you know, once he reached the big leagues, uh, you know, what he did at the big league level, and then he, and, and Manuel took over as manager, uh, you know, partly because Tommy was, was the guy at the time and they wanted a, a guy who, who made him feel comfortable. Uh, what was, what was it about the two of them that worked so well together?
0: Yeah. You know, I think they just, you know, I remember Charlie saying when he was scouting for the Indians, I think he was a AAA manager. They sent him to a uh, winter Haven to check out, uh, another left-handed hitting power hitter. And, uh, you know, Charlie looked at this guy and, uh, you know, he didn't see what he wanted to see, but he, but then he started watching Tommy, and he said, "This is the guy." When he came back to Cleveland, this is the guy that that we should be watching right now. And uh, they, they just seemed to have that that mutual bond together. You know, it was Tommy, it was uh, Charlie when they were in Charlotte, uh, AAA Charlotte, that that got Tommy to kind of you know to, to point the bat when he was when he would get to the plate and and you know point the bat at the pitcher. You know, just one heart, like uh uh, and then they he saw that after watching The Natural, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, Roy Roy Hobbs. Roy Hobbs, that. yeah, and, and hey, he moved him out and loosened them up, and, and, was t- and it was and and was Charlie that you know be, you know, Tommy's power was to left center field, and Charlie got got Tommy to open the stance up a little bit so he could start to pull the ball and get his hips around, you know, I- into the ball and. You know, those two just had a great relationship, and uh, Charlie, of course, was <laughs> Charlie was was the a great just just a, a you know a joy to talk to. You know, one of his favorite quotes was, you know, we'll get that we'll cross that bridge when we run into it, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he were, <laughs> I was. Yeah, I remember him saying that once. I'm not sure what he was trying. to say. I got what he knew. I knew what he was talking about, but just the way he put it, you know, it was interesting. And it, but he, you know, uh, and then and then when Charlie went to, um, you know, manage the the Phillies, you know, he he uh, you know he was he's the Phillies win all time winningest manager, really, and, um, and you know brought got him a World Series you know, two, two National League parents. And when they beat the, uh, when they beat the Rays in, in uh, 2008 to win the world series, you know, we were in the interview room. I was, we covered the series and uh, I was in the interview room and it was just about to close down. And I, and I, they finally called on me to, you know, ask him a question and I asked him some question and Charlie didn't even answer it. He goes, Hey, Hoinsie, tell him we won a world series back in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> So you know that so that made that that was a pretty good story for me for, for sure and you know because you know Charlie had parted on some a little some bad terms in, in Cleveland when he got fired right uh, I believe in the what the 2002 season maybe yeah, yeah uh, at at the All Star break
1: right so yeah I, the, the two are inextricably linked in in terms of Manuel and and Tomi. and that's why like back in 2019 when the when the all-star game uh, came around and they had the the futures game, I think Tommy was, was the manager for uh, the futures game and uh, for the AL side. And uh, you know, Charlie Manuel was, was in his, on his bench there. He he was in the clubhouse and, and, and that was just fun to see. He didn't really want to talk to too many reporters at the time, but uh, kind of understandable, I guess it was, it was more Tommy's day than, than his. Uh, they, they brought Tomey back in the, I, I believe, in the, the World Series uh, the World Series opener in 2016 to, to throw out the first pitch, uh, a, an, an honor for, you know, uh, a guy who really the, the franchise sort of latched on to after he retired and after it was obvious that he was going to become a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, they, they sort of trot him out now on, on big occasions. He, he does speaking engagements around here he goes to the sports awards, all that. He's, he's really sort of uh, come a long way from 20 years ago when, when he first decided to leave town. Uh, and, and the, the image sort of is, is there now of, of this, this legendary figure in the
0: the Cleveland franchise. Yeah, definitely. And you know what he's on MLB, MLB network, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's on there. He's, he was just named the, what the the president of the major league baseball's alumni association taken over for Brooks Robinson, uh, you know, back in his college, they named, I think they named the field after him, you know, so, you know, Tomy's come a long way from Peoria, Illinois. He's, he's done all right for himself and uh, you know, and, and Charlie, you know, like you said, Charlie and him, I don't think there's a Jim Tomey without a Charlie manual. I really don't think, I mean, he gave Tomy not only the confidence to, to be the hitter he, he did, but you know, he, he broke down his swing. He could, he was a mechanic. He could get under right. the hood and, and fix some things. And, you know, and Tommy was, was athletic enough to make, to make the, uh, to make the adjustments he needed to make. And yeah. I, I remember uh, Joe, the scout that signed uh, Tommy, you know, he was playing junior college ball and and this scout had come to, uh, to, to watch another player that, but then he sees, you know, he saw Tomey hit like five rockets right to the, you know, right to the uh, shortstop. And, uh, and so after the game, he, he kind of sneaks over to Tomey and and Tomey's going to turn around and talk to him. And he goes, no, no, don't turn around. Don't turn around. Keep your back to me. And he goes, do you want to play professional baseball and Tommy Tomy's saying, yeah, yeah, I want to play. He goes, okay, here's my name. Here's my card. Or, you know, I'll keep it. I'll keep in touch. But, this scout had watched him play basketball too and said, you know, in high school and, you know, he saw the athleticism Tommy had. And, uh, you know that, so he'd been tracking them for a while.
1: Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, just to get back to, to Charlie Manuel real quick, uh, didn't Manuel, uh, play several years over in Japan. Wasn't he, uh, like one of the, the all-time great hitters in, in the Japanese
0: league? Oh yeah. He, he played, I think he played, uh, he played like six years in Japan, hit 189 home runs. He, they called him the Red Devil in, J- in <laughs> Japan because he had red hair then. And Charlie, you know, he, he would, he, Charlie said, you know, one year he was trying to, I think he was trying to break uh, Sarahara O's home run record. And he said the Japanese pitchers stopped pitching to him. They, they would like, every ball was, you know, in the, in the, opposite, the opposite batter's box. Uh, and another time, there was get an interpreter, and the mm-hmm. interpreter, you know, was uh, kind of talking smack to Charlie's teammates about him, and uh, and Charlie had picked up enough Japanese by then to know what was going on. He said he was chasing the interpreter around the dugout, trying to trying to get a hold of him. But he had some great stories about Japan. But uh, you know, but he said uh, you know that that you know he kind of really established himself over there. He you know he was. He's a big deal in Japan It's still a, to this day.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's sort of, you know, that's one of the things that always triggers in my, my mind when, when I think about Charlie Manuel is, you know, for as, as much as he accomplished over here uh, in Major League Baseball, he's uh, a big deal in Japan too. Uh, but uh, but Jim Tomey, certainly a big deal here in Cleveland, certainly will always be a big deal here in Cleveland. Uh, and And I think, you know, whether they're the Guardians or the Indians or, you know, whichever cap he wears into Cooperstown or any of that stuff. Uh, the fans and Jim Tomey uh, had a love affair for, you know, 13 seasons. And, uh, you know, it, it certainly worked out for
0: both sides pretty well. Definitely. And, uh, you know, Charlie gave him those those great nicknames, you know, Tome poisoning, Tome Dome. You know, <laughs> Charlie had a nickname for everybody, man. It was, wow. That was quite a combination. Oh, wow.
1: All right, with that, it's going to wrap up uh, today's podcast. It's going to wrap up our top 25 uh, most memorable Cleveland baseball players of uh, uh past 38 years, and we will uh, look forward to breaking down uh, some more. Uh, you know, coming up as hopefully as we we get some news. So one more podcast this week, Hoynesy, and then we'll go into the weekend and maybe we come out on the other side with some. Some more encouraging uh, signs for a uh, labor uh, agreement here coming up, for sure, Joe. Uh, again, happy birthday, Hoynes. We'll talk to you again. Uh, hey, no, wait. Before I go, one last question. You've spent so many birthdays at spring training or on the road, and and I know that there are a few legendary stories out there. <laughs> What's is there a is there a memorable one that that you're that you can that you can disclose on the air here or? Uh, <laughs> what's uh what's a, a, a Hoinsey birthday
0: in Arizona like <laughs> there's not too many of that I can mention that <laughs> even more that I can't remember but there was one in Tucson Arizona where uh, I, I was doing this thing called the Hawk call and, mm-hmm. uh, and this was this was late into my uh to the to the birthday it was like maybe... You know, in, in in the a.m. of uh, of uh, the cel- the birthday celebration, and we we all and, and, and in those days we all stayed at the uh, the Tucson the Sheridan in Tucson. Mm-hmm. The whole team, all the writers, everybody stayed there, and it was like a courtyard in the middle of the uh, of the hotel. <laughs> and I was doing a couple of hot calls, like at two or three in the morning. <laughs> the next day, <laughs> Pat Corrales was the manager then. We're in there, you know, talking to him before the, before practice or after practice. And he goes, did you hear some chicken last night? <laughs> <laughs> Screaming in the middle of the night. <laughs> I just kept my mind. I, I just kept my and, mind. and
1: none of the guy, none of the other reporters turned you in? None of the other guys well, turned in? I think
0: everybody you. was laughing. I think they did. <laughs> yeah, I had to fess up to it. <laughs>
1: oh, man. Well, we we will dedicate an entire podcast at some point during – we're going to have time. We're going to, we, we need to get the history of the Hawk call on here uh, on record and on a podcast coming up. Uh, We'll look forward to doing that here. Maybe before the season starts. Uh, Hoinsey, happy birthday. We'll talk to you again on Friday.
0: All right, Joe. Thanks, man.